Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Like the disciples, you know, who were caught in the storm on the Lake of Galilee and they think, oh, we're going to perish. But Jesus was in the boat with them. Or just like Isaiah said about the Lord in Isaiah 63, 9, Isaiah 63, 9, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them in his love and his pity. He redeemed them. He bare them and carried them all the days of old. So we're told that every time Israel, every time the Jewish people were afflicted, that the Lord was afflicted. And the the name of the Lord who saved them is called the angel of his presence. So, you know, everything we're talking about that happened here at Bethel, it's not just a history of Jacob's life, but it's very important for us personally. I want you please to turn to Hosea 12, Hosea 12, 4, Hosea 12, 4, Hosea 12, 4. It's not that hard to find. It's a relatively big book in the small prophet area. Hosea 12, 4. And tell me, what happened at Bethel according to Hosea 12, 4? What happened at Bethel? Where we are right now in what happened at Bethel, where we are, in Hosea 12.4? Hosea 12.4, yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. There he found him in Bethel, and then what does it say? Yeah, so you know what we've seen in verses 13, 14, and 15 is this whole emphasis about how God spoke with Jacob, right? In Genesis, that's what we see, that God spoke. But So therefore, you'd expect in Hosea 12.4, for it to say, he found him in Bethel, and there he spake with him. He found Jacob in Bethel, and there he spake with Jacob. That's what is emphasized in those verses in, in Genesis 3. But it doesn't say that. Well, it, it says, he spoke with us. He found him in Bethel, he spoke with us. Which means that in Genesis 35, we're not just seeing God speak to Jacob, but we're seeing God speak to us when he speaks to Jacob. This is what makes the Bible so great, that it's for us. It's speaking to us because it's all written to us, for us. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world come. And that's what it says in Romans 15, 4, Romans 15, 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, okay, back to Genesis uh, 35, please. Okay, now we, here we go, Genesis 35. Now we come to this passage here, verses 16 through 20, which is the sad history 
of the death of Rachel. This is the sad history of the death of Rachel. This is sad. I mean, the death, this is, this is Jacob's dear Rachel here. This is the love, this is the only love of Jacob's life, Rachel. He had a lot of other options, but he, anyway. So, <laughs> I mean, Rachel is the one that Jacob worked 14 years for, he, to have as his wife. And it seems so short, like nothing, because of the love that Jacob had for Rachel. We read about that in Genesis 29, 20. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Jacob, since the day that he saw Rachel, and on that day, not just saw her, he kissed her. And then he lifted up his voice and cried. That was in Genesis 29, 11, you remember. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. From that day, he had never been away from Rachel. He was either working for her in, her in her father's house and finally getting her as a wife. And his love was always centered on Rachel. I mean, as it says in, in Genesis 29, 18, Jacob loved Rachel. I mean, those words describe Jacob. That's Jacob. Jacob is a man described as he loved Rachel. Jacob always loved Rachel. That statement in Genesis 29, 18, Jacob loved Rachel, meant that the fear in Jacob's life was that Rachel would be taken away from him. Remember what he said that? When Laban came after him and he said, I was afraid. He said, you'd take my wives away from me. But anyway, I don't know what he was meaning, but okay, whatever. But he was afraid that Jacob, uh, that Jacob was afraid that Rachel was going to be taken away from him. He was afraid that Rachel would abandon him, would abandon him. You know, death is many things, and it could be described in many ways. You have many descriptions to death. But death is, in a very real sense, an abandonment for the one who loves the one who died. Feeling of abandonment. The one who's left behind feels abandoned. I mean, people, to, people say these words, you know, at weddings, and it sounds very nice, you know, oh, I will love you forever, and I will never leave you, and I will always be for you for eternity. You know, the intention is good, but the reality is wrong, because the reality is, is that the love is really going to be till death do us part, yeah? and the intention is good, but the reality is that death will force an abandonment. And the more a person loves the one who died, the more the person is going to feel abandoned who's left behind. That's what death is. It abandons those that are left behind. The person who is outside the Lord Jesus Christ has no real expectation to ever see that loved one again. So death is the ultimate abandonment. Abandonment, abandonment complex is very real today. It's very common today because people feel abandoned when death takes the ones they love, because death is abandonment. Death will likely come to every person, and they will abandon those who are left behind. People withhold themselves. They keep back. I mean, why don't you love, you know, love the puppy? Because I know if I let my heart go and I love the puppy, that the dog's going to die and my heart's going to get broken. You know? and, and, and there's only one person that death will never come to, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can say in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I mean, what the Lord Jesus Christ said in that verse in Hebrews 13, 5, you know, 
is I will never abandon you. And he's the only one who can say that because of Revelation 118 when he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I, li- I am alive forevermore. Therefore, to love the Lord Jesus Christ is to never have to fear being abandoned by him because he lives and he's alive forevermore. And what's wonderful to see here is how Jacob, when you look at it, this, this death of Rachel here, he so quickly recovers from the death of Rachel, which shows that Jacob has firmly placed all his hope now in Jehovah Jesus, who lives and is alive forevermore and will never forsake Jacob and will never leave Jacob. I mean, Jacob, who came into Laban's house, was so in love with Rachel, that he didn't, and he didn't have the Lord as his God. We know that from what he said in, originally when he was here in Bethel. But at that time, his name, well, as God is emphasizing, his name was just Jacob. And as Jacob, as Jacob, he could not have risen above the death of Rachel because the Lord was not his God at that time. But what's, you know what's strange in these verses here as we read this little passage here about the death of Rachel, verses 16 through 20? It's strange that in these verses, we don't read any mourning that Jacob had in the death of Rachel. I mean, Jacob loved Rachel, but it doesn't, we don't read anything about even mourning for Rachel when she died. Jacob missed Rachel. He thought a lot about Rachel for the rest of his life, and he never took another wife to replace Rachel. <laughs> He'd been there and done that. <laughs> but Jacob did not mourn for Rachel. And what all this is showing us is now Jacob is no longer Jacob. Jacob is now Israel. And when we see that Jacob was not crushed, and he was not mourning for Rachel, we see how Jacob, as now Israel, is quickly rising up from his grief over Rachel's death. The death then of the only love of his life way back Rachel, when he was just Jacob, that would have crushed Jacob down and he would have not been able to rise up from the grief of Rachel's death. But the death now of the only love of his life, Rachel, now does not crush Israel, but now Israel is able to rise up from the grief of Rachel's death. Now, we're told in verse 16, they journeyed from Bethel and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath and Rachel travailed and she had hard labor. So it's kind of this interesting little thing here, little note that's put in there about the little way part. You know, it's just a little way to come to Ephrath, which in verse 19 we understand is Bethlehem. I mean, Jacob, he's probably around 106 years old, give or take a couple of years. When you're that old, what does it make? But it's about that year. Rachel's probably about 50 years old, relatively young. And this always bothered Jacob that Rachel died just a little way before they would have come to Bethlehem. You know, there's a charming scene that we're going to come to later on. It's a scene of Jacob, an old man, an old father. He's about to die. And and it it reminds me of my son David and and how when my father-in-law was um, not in great shape and old, how David traveled to Akron, Ohio with a video camera in hand and taped him for hours you know, as, as his grandfather, Cheryl's dad, you know, was telling about all the experiences of his life. 
And, and David finally got him to talk about World War II and, and his experiences in the Italian campaign. And nobody knew that that was the last opportunity that there was before he got this severe Parkinson's disease and he couldn't tell his life story after that. But Dave just sat him down in a chair and just, you know, got the camera rolling and just got him to talk and reminisce over the past. It was, it was grandson David reminiscing with Grandpa Jack. And that's, that's a scene, by the way, that we have in Genesis 48. It's Father Jacob reminiscing with his son Joseph. You know, as an old father, he's now reminiscing with his favorite son, Joseph, telling about his life. And, and you might want to just turn to this verse. It's kind of interesting. Genesis 48, 7. Genesis 48, 7 is this time of, of, the, of the reminiscing, you know, and the video camera is rolling. You know, <laughs> it's been written now in the Torah here in, in Genesis 48, but okay. So the video camera is rolling. The father is, is, is just reminiscing over his past to his son. In Genesis 48, 7, and he's sitting down and he says, you know, Joseph, as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way. When there was really, when there was just a, but a little way to come to Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way to Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. You know what it's like here? It's like, it's like Jacob saying to Joseph, you know, Rachel, oh man, my beloved Rachel, she died by me. See that? In verse 48, 7. She died by me. That's important. That was important. That's an important note. That's an important thing for Jacob. He wanted Joseph to know she died by me. That was important for Jacob, that he was there when Rachel died. Jacob Jacob was as much as he could be with Rachel and by Rachel when she died. I understand why that's important for Jacob, because he wanted to say that. He wanted to get that out. That was important as he was reminiscing in Genesis 48, 7. Rachel died by me. My buddy from junior high and high school told me recently how important it was for him that his wife died in his arms. She had breast cancer young in her 30s. And he could say of his wife, like Jacob did in Genesis 48, 7, she died by me. You know, I'm so glad that I was there at the bedside with Cheryl when she died. And I can say, like Jacob said in Genesis 48, 7, Cheryl died by me. But then Jacob goes on and he continues to reminisce with Joseph about Rachel. And he keeps repeating this something about Rachel in, in, in Genesis 48, 7. He keeps saying this. Look at it. Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way. Yeah? When there was but a little, little way to come unto Ephrath, and I buried her there in the way, you know, of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. You see that emphasis? You know, he keeps saying that, but a little way to come to Ephrath, and she was buried in the way, and it was all about this in the way, and what we see Jacob doing here is he's emphasizing to Joseph, she died in the way. She died in the journey. You know, think about, why does he keep emphasizing? Well, you know, during, it, it has a twofold meaning. I mean, during the journey when Rachel went into this hard labor, I mean, Jacob must have thought, and this is why he keeps emphasizing, he must have thought, and he says, boy, this is not a place to have a baby on this right on the side of the road here in this journey. I mean, I mean, we, if we could just make it to Bethlehem, it's not very far away. We just, if we just make it there, you know, it'd be a, a little more comfortable. It'd be comfortable. It'd be more established residence, but not here on the side of the road, by the way. There's no, this is no place to have a baby. This is no place to die. 
Not in the way. So the first meaning that we get from all this emphasis of dying in the way is that it's a good picture about how we're going to die. Because we're all going to die like Rachel in the way, on the way, not having arrived yet. You know, we're called strangers and pilgrims in 1 Peter 2.11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Strangers and pilgrims, that's how we're called. Strangers and pilgrims, we're like Rachel, we're in the way. We're like Rachel, we're on our journey toward heaven. Like Rachel, we'll die in our pilgrimage. We will not have arrived at heaven, obviously, before we die. We'll be like Rachel, we'll die in the way. But there's another lesson. There's another lesson that we gain from all this, this in the way emphasis. And it's not to overlook that it was not just Rachel who died in the way, but there was a birth along the way. There was a birth in the way. I mean, Benjamin, let's not, if, you know, let's not forget about the poor little guy. You know, Benjamin, he was born when Rachel died in the way, which means that, that, that Benjamin was born in the way. Benjamin was born during the pilgrimage, and our life is a pilgrimage. And we are like born in the way of our pilgrimage. Now, we see this first mention here of the city of Bethlehem in verse 19. And it's, you know, first mentions are always significant in the Bible. And this is the first mention of the city of Bethlehem. And we see a picture with the first mention of Bethlehem of a death, the death of Rachel, and a birth, the birth of Benjamin. And we cannot see this first mention of Bethlehem without thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see clearly here with the mention of Bethlehem and the death of of Rachel, she gives birth to the new life in Benjamin. We see clearly that with this mention, Bethlehem, death of Rachel, birth of Benjamin, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's born in Bethlehem, and he dies later, and he gives new life, us, which is his church. And every believer has life because the Lord Jesus Christ died to give us life, which is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.10. 1 Thessalonians 5.10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with them. You know, who First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians five ten, who died for us that we should live, and as Rachel died for Benjamin that he should live, and so the Lord Jesus Christ died for us that we should live. So we also see how Rachel's travail here brought this life of Benjamin. I mean, travail. This is the word that Paul uses, travail, when he describes what he's doing for the church of Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter four, verse 19, Galatians four nineteen. my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Paul, he worked so hard in prayer for the Galatians. He worked hard in teaching and caring for the Galatians that he called it travail until Christ was formed in them. Now, we read about what happened to Rachel as she was giving birth to Benjamin in verse 16 when it says she journeyed from Bethel. There's but a little way to come to Ephrath. Rachel travailed and had hard labor. It says that she travailed. Yeah, okay, it's the word, English word they chose. But the English here doesn't have quite have the same meaning as the Hebrew because the Hebrew word here for travailed is yalad, yalad. And that's the word that, we, that, that also coming the little child, you know what that is? 
little child or son. It's Yeled, Yeled, Yeled. So uh, Yeled is, is derived from Yalad, okay? So the two words are related. So really it's childbirth and child. And, and that's the basis for really seeing this verse. You really should see it as uh, Rachel was in childbirth and she had hard travail. So, so the word Yalad or childbirth has in it this hope. It has encapsulated within it this hope that, that there's going to be a yellow that's born, a, a little child that's born, you know, a little boy, a little child. So it's going to result in a child. And so, so okay, so the Lord, he, he's, he's really talking about this in, in John 16, 21, in John 16, 21, when he said, a woman, when she is in travail, with sor- hath sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. You know, with our firstborn son, David, Cheryl was in hard labor for 24 hours. And, and so, and, and that was not a pleasant experience. And so when it came time for our second born to be born, she said this verse did not apply to her. <laughs> because she remembered vividly all the pain of the firstborn son. <laughs> but in verse 16, we can see all the pain that's associated with childbirth. And the fact that this is the, the, the time when really a woman comes the closest to death. I mean, she died. Rachel died here. But it's really a time of childbirth when the woman comes uh, closest to death. As a matter of fact, my friend and his wife, who I had dinner with this last week, uh, they're just weeks away from having their firstborn son. It's a happy time, you know. And, and so we were sitting at the dinner table there, and, and we were discussing all the preparations for childbirth, you know. And they were, and they're diligent, you know, and she made a list, you know. I mean, she, <laughs> they, had, they were diligently preparing for childbirth with this checklist, and they had diligently prepared, and they had, by packing the bag, I was all ready, you know, and, and was ready to go when the time comes. They had diligently prepared by taking the childbirth preparation class and the tour of Sharp Mary Birch Hospital, you know, and yesterday they diligently prepared by taking the Lamaze class, you know, how to get through the pain. But, you know, there's one preparation that, that all expectant mothers should do. All expectant mothers should diligently prepare for death because in childbirth, a woman will come the closest to death. I mean, what would it be like if there were plaques at Sharp Mary Birch Hospital and Sharp Grossmont Women's Center with the Bible verse of Amos 4.12, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. <laughs> what would that be like, okay? <laughs> but that's what it should be. As a matter of fact, uh, all of us should be prepared to meet our God because we don't know when we're gonna die. You know, Isaac said that in Genesis 27.2, in Genesis 27.2, and he said, behold, now I am old and I know not the day of my death. But as we see, all this pain of giving birth is a graphic scene for us of what life is. You know, human life begins with pain. It begins with painful sorrow of childbirth, and it ends with the painful sorrow of the death process. And during life, there are joys, but those joys are mixed with sorrows.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas is here. Join Tom Cantor at the annual Christmas Under the Stars Free Family Festival Christian Event on Saturday, December 10th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Games, rides, petting zoos, family photos, live Christmas music, and a live nativity, holiday food and drinks, a star viewing, and a Christmas light show, and so much more. This year, bring a toy to support Operation Save Christmas, a benefit to help support the hundreds of homeless children in San Diego out on the streets. So join Tom Cantor for this free family festival Christian event, Christmas Under the Stars, on Saturday, December 10th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee. And bring the family and friends for rides, games, animals, music, a live nativity, and so much more. And don't forget to bring that gift for a homeless child. To learn more about Christmas Under the Stars and Operation Save Christmas, call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. creationsd.org.